1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends
2: Collection. The only way is through. A new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood.
0: The reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just perform.
2: Listen to The Only Way is Through. Available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you... Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello, I'm Molly Edmonds. And I'm Kristen Conger.
2: And welcome to our super South by Southwest Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast. Live. 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 Uh, On Stuff Mom Never Told You, we talk a lot about gender and relationships and how the genders interact. So we've spent a lot of time talking about monogamy and problems people have with monogamy, adultery, the seven-year itch, mm-hmm. and the idea that marriage for love is kind of a new idea when you look at the history of marriage. So that brings us to our topic for the day, which is one of our most requested podcast topics.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about polyamory today because, like you said, we've talked a lot about monogamy and especially the challenges of being monogamous and staying faithful to one person for the rest of your life. And a group of people feel like they've kind of figured out the answer to all these problems we have with monogamy, and that is polyamory. But before we talk about what polyamory is, Molly, maybe it'd be better for us to first explain what polyamory is not
2: sure. We did one episode about the so-called new monogamy, which is having sex with people outside of your marriage but not falling in love with them. Um, just the idea that you satisfy a physical urge. So people call it swinging, uh, an open marriage, just you know, don't ask, don't tell. Um, but that's one option. But polyamory takes it into the love spectrum and says that you can maintain multiple emotional and physical relationships with your spouse, with an extra boyfriend, an extra girlfriend, many people.
0: Yeah, and so polyamory is often referred to within the community as ethical or responsible non-monogamy. And uh, Brett Hill, who is one of the uh, public figures of the uh, polyamory movement, calls it the next wave of human relationships. And that's basically because they really think that they have kind of figured out, like I said, the solution to... All of these uh, quandaries with sticking with one person.
2: Well, this idea that we're sold in romantic comedies and love songs is that we'll find this other half that makes us whole. You're going to find that perfect person that likes all the same movies you do, who is perfect in bed, who does all—you know—just has the same hobbies, has the same parenting style. It's all going to work. And rather than you know settling for just this one person, these people adopting this lifestyle say you can get one thing from one person and one thing from another person and keep on going. But. Rather than having a whole bunch of affairs, the reason the ethics comes into it is you say, hey, spouse, I'm going to be with this person on Monday and Tuesday, and I'm going to be with this person on Wednesday, Thursday, and I'll see you for the weekend.
0: Well, and they also might all get together with the the same person. And they organize different types of polyamorous relationships um, by something they refer to as polygeometry, because as you can imagine, having multiple relationships with all these different people can get a little complicated. So you might have something such as a V, which is a common uh, polygeometric arrangement, in which you have um, typically a heterosexual married couple. And um, there's one person who wants to have an outside relationship and they are considered the point in the V. So they have their husband, perhaps if it's a, you know, a wife who wants to branch out. So she's got one point of her V with her, with her hubby. And then she's got maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend on the side.
2: Right, and so that they are called the hinge of the V because they're the ones that brings these two people together. These two people may not be in a relationship together, but they can be. That's sort of closing the V into a triangle, which, again, is the geometry part. If you're bad at math, I don't really know if polyamory works for you. But um, a triad is when all three of these people are equally involved together romantically.
0: So, And one little fun, I guess it might be weird to call this a fun tidbit, but... Interesting tidbit about the uh, the triad that we learned from a polyamory expert that we talked to from Georgia State University is that um, often with triads, it's a heterosexual married couple who bring in what they refer to in the poly community as a hot bi babe. So it's typically um, the wife looking for a bisexual female partner to bring in and complete their triangle. But it doesn't stop there with the polygeometry. (laughs) You
2: can have a quad, which is, it's typically two married couples who switch partners on an equal basis. So that's, I mean, if you think it's hard enough to find one person that you love, imagine finding a whole other married couple in which everyone's compatible with. Um, And then you can just keep expanding your points. And, you know, not everyone has to be related in the points. You can read articles about how you'll start with a married couple and the wife will go over and have, you know, four relationships over here, and the guy has some relationships over here. And so it, it can go on. I mean, people, talk, people need org charts. You've got to be really
0: organized to maintain polyamory. Yeah, and so that leads up to the next question of how do you make this work? Because there's one story we read in the New York Times about uh, polyamorous couples, and there was this one guy. I mean, he's living in Manhattan, and he's dating, like, five separate women. And he basically carries around when he goes into the city an overnight bag because he's just switching around. From place to place, which just sounds exhausting to me, frankly. So, in order to make polyamory work, clearly, you have to be good at communication, especially with your primary partner and scheduling. I mean, you got to figure out when you're going to hang out with all of these different people.
2: Yeah, Google Calendar is a big, uh, big asset to the poly community. And uh, again, that communication, you have to be able to tell. One spouse, you know, hey, I, it's not that I'm dissatisfied with you. It's not that I'm not in love with you, but you've got to be okay explaining why you're going to this other person's house and why you need this other person to make you feel complete. Mm -hmm.
0: And since polyamory has uh, been coming up in the mainstream a lot recently, um, there are also a lot of books and sites that people will reference, such as uh, probably the best-known book is called The Ethical Slut. There's also books called Open Marriage, and there's even a Loving More magazine uh, for polyamorous subscribers.
2: And the magazine is where we have most of our information about who practices polyamory, and it's largely... Um, white people, uh, middle-aged, middle-class, and a large proportion of graduate degrees, uh, 40% of people who took one Loving Moore survey had a graduate degree or higher compared to 8% of the general population. So these are people who consider themselves very bright and uh, and uh, figure they
0: can make this work. <laughs> yeah, because, again, you probably need to have uh, some good education to figure out all that polygeometry. <laughs> Um, but we asked, uh, Dr. Chef from Georgia State why polyamory might appeal to such a specific demographic. And her response was really interesting. She said that, um, in her research on polyamorous couples, it definitely does appeal to, um, people of class and race privilege. Because with that privilege, it makes it a lot easier for them to be more nonconformist because they can kind of fly under the radar of the mainstream. They're not going to, attract attention, say, from child welfare services if they're carrying out, you know, if they're involved in this kind of sexual subculture, whereas someone who's in a minority and might not enjoy as much social privilege has more at risk. Right. And we're going to get
2: into a little bit more about what fits the norm and how that can affect the people who are practicing it when we get into the drawbacks. But first, let's talk about why you would even want to do this in the first place, because Kristen, you've already alluded to the fact that it sounds pretty exhausting um, it's a lot of communication. It's way more communication than than I can imagine. Um, so what what are the benefits
0: of practicing polyamory? I mean, it's pretty apparent. You, you can <laughs> have There's a lot of variety. Yeah, you got variety, you know. I mean, it's not it's death do you part, but with, you know, a little with variety benefits. on the side. And sometimes you'll read
2: trend pieces where they basically admit, yeah, it's, it's sprinkles on the cupcake that is my life. You know, it's. It's everything extra you could possibly want. Uh, You get your cake and you eat it too.
0: You get your hot bye, babe, perhaps.
2: (laughs) But uh, they say that rather than distancing themselves from their partners, being able to go outside a relationship to get fulfilled in other ways can bring them closer, perhaps, to that primary partner or to the other people in their lives.
0: Yeah, because they have to practice very, very open communication in order for this to uh, to work, and also with all those people, yeah, you get the benefits of perhaps um, you know different sexual partners. But you also, as you develop actual relationships with these other people, it brings more resources into your life. Especially uh, you know, think about if you have kids, if you can't pick up. You know, a little Johnny from soccer practice, maybe someone else can who's in your your poly circle. And one thing, too, about the polyamorous community that's um, relevant to this podcast in particular because we talk a lot about women's issues and about feminism and all of that is that um, polyamorous communities are often upheld as being more gender equal.
2: Right. People don't necessarily fall into those stereotypical roles of the husband goes to work and comes home and uh, does you know sits in front of the television because there's all this switching around. You don't fall into those you know you know those paths. You fall into those those things that make you bored. So it's sometimes upheld as a really feminist. Community and there's a lot of choice, which is a really big hallmark of feminism. And
0: one interesting thing too that Dr. Chef pointed pointed out was that a lot of the research that's being done on polyamory is initiated by women scholars. It's something that they're really interested in. And there was a um, a survey of 250 polyamorous women that we saw in the New Scientist asking. Why, you know, they were even interested in initiating these relationships and their number one motivation is having the opportunity to explore, especially outside the bounds of um, maybe traditional social morals, especially concerned with uh, with gender roles.
2: And it's important to distinguish this from polygamy, which we associate with the one man, with the multiple wives, and the fact that in this community it's equal opportunity. Everyone gets a chance to bring in an extra partner. That's another reason why it's got this great reputation for women. So,
0: But as you can imagine, as with any relationship, uh, it's, not, it's not all roses. Well, and, you know, more,
2: more people, more problems. Imagine the, the heartache you go through when, say, a spouse's mother dies. Now imagine that all of your partner's mothers die at the same time. I mean, it's whose
0: funeral do you go to?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Google Calendar. Um, Draw a name out of a hat, and the, that's when you bring back the communicate, communicate, communicate. I mean, you know, that's that's a real life issue that someone might have to deal with. Hopefully, everyone's mothers not dying at the same time, but um, that's that's what you might have to deal with. But yes, you're you're multiplying the amount of problems you have, and not just problems within your relationship, but let's say your boyfriend has a problem with his girlfriend that probably
0: ricochets throughout all of the relationships. So really the number one drawback, of course, to polyamory is the issue of jealousy. This comes up in all the stories that you're going to read on uh, polyamory and, you know, the anecdotes about polyamorous relationships because naturally if you, you know, there, there probably comes a point if you bring another person in that maybe one partner might not, Close the door all the yeah, way. It might get a little, little, sad. There were, you know, there were anecdotes of, um, you know, like one, one partner catching a glimpse of their partner and their new, new beau, uh, doing the, doing the nasty. Can I say that? South by Southwest. So. Yes. Um.
2: So that's yeah. Jealousy is a big thing. And if you look at the work of evolutionary biologists, they say we're never going to evolve from not feeling jealousy when our when our sexual dominance with the partner is threatened. So some people say that people who practice this lifestyle are just, you know, threatening, you know, it's it's never going to work. It's always going to come back and haunt you. But when you read articles, these people talk about how jealousy is just this personal challenge they can overcome by communicating, by this radical honesty, by assessing themselves and figuring out what the issue is. So you'll always read these stories about people overcoming jealousy. Like, yeah, I was jealous at first, but... You know, I realized it was good for us and then I got a girlfriend too. Sometimes you feel jealous just because you're the only one in the relationship that doesn't have the extra partner, so.
0: Yeah, I think I kind of like how uh, they've developed their own vocabulary around all of these issues and spin it towards the positive. It's like, well, yeah, we are jealous, uh, but then we practice radical honesty and we surpass the jealousy when new relationship energy, i.e. jealousy of, you know, the new love in someone else's life comes around. So it's like they're they're constantly, like, progressing personally and then, you know, break through the walls and, and develop closer relationships. It's kind of interesting how they, yeah. they really do seem to always spin it to the positive. Well,
2: and what they're trying to attain is another word they've sort of made up called compersion, which is the feeling of being happy to watch your loved one find love with someone else.
0: Appreciate the new relationship energy for the compersion that it will produce from the expanding polygeometry,
2: <laughs> you know. That sounds like a bumper sticker for the poly community if might. I ever heard one. I might need to write a book. <laughs> I think so. All right, another big drawback we want to talk about, you mentioned how for kids there are a lot of resources. But there's a really landmark case in this community that happened in 1999 when a woman named April Dibblebiss was on an MTV documentary about polyamory, and uh, she had a small child, and the child's grandmother on the paternal side saw this documentary and had the child removed from the home. Because she claimed the mother's lifestyle was immoral, depraved. The child had no right to be there. And, you know, the court reporters would go in and observe the child and said, yeah, this, this home is happy, healthy. The mom just has two boyfriends. But the judge took the kid away saying, you know, this is not, this is not environment for a child.
0: Yeah. He said it was morally depraved. And so they took the child away. And, um, I don't think, I think you checked back up on this, Molly, and, uh, the, she hasn't gotten the the kid back. I don't think so. No. And it's really and it's a case that comes up a lot um, in the polyamorous community, and it's one reason why there's a lot of secrecy involved, especially depending on where you live. Uh, Dr. Chef was telling us that if you're a polyamorous family living out on Sa- in San Francisco, you probably have a larger community and can be a little more open about it. But polyamorous families say in Georgia, where we are, probably have to practice a little bit more um, secrecy. But the interesting what thing was, too, um, she was saying that it's not that hard for kids to sort of uh, explain why they might have more than two adults in their life to their kids, just because... You know, divorce is so common. It's not, you know, you might have a stepdad, a stepmom, biological mom and dad, aunts, uncles. And a lot of times, kids and other families will kind of come up with their own explanation for why little Johnny has, you know, three moms.
2: Mm -hmm. And another thing, and well, so there's this big notice on one of the polyamory websites that if you have children don't talk to the media, don't tell your coworkers, don't tell your friends, stay in the closet because the world's not ready for you and we have to protect your kids. And that can be an issue if someone gets divorced and a spouse might come after the children. But what's interesting is that uh, despite this being, you know, this quote-unquote feminist movement, women are the ones who are more likely to stay secret about the fact that they have three partners besides a husband.
0: Sure, because uh, the social stigma of a woman having more than one partner um, is understandably a little bit harsher than a man having more than one partner because for women, they are typically labeled, um, I can't think of a, a, a softer word, but they're labeled sluts. Whereas, Which men... is why that author reclaimed ethical slut right. as
2: the polyamory Bible title.
0: Whereas men with more than one partner are simply, you know, following their own biological urges, they need to spread their seed, yada, yada, yada.
2: So uh, Dr. Chef that we talked to is doing this long-term study on children in polyamorous families. Uh, it's been going on for a decade now, and she still has a few more years to figure out long-term effects on these children. And as you might expect, the children turn out, you know, as well as they might in a monogamous family. It just depends on the family you're raised in. It's not, that's not the factor that's distinguishing anything. It's all about whether the home is healthy in other ways. Uh, but so far she's finding with the kids she's interviewed that they like the lifestyle, that they like the resources that they're brought into.
0: Well, I mean, it, it all comes down to, to that issue of resources. And it reminds me actually of um, a researcher that I talked to for a Discovery News article who did a similar study on whether or not um, kids have any different developmental outcomes if they're raised by um, homosexual parents versus heterosexual parents. And of course, the answer is the kids are fine and it's all based on the parental resources. You can have, um, if you have straight parents who are providing you know, the homework help, picking them up and taking them you know, to the mall in school and giving them all of the, uh, the resources that they need, Clearly, homosexual parents can provide the same kinds of resources and same thing with uh, with polyamorous families. Now, Chef did make the point, there to say that with these kids that she's been following for a decade, there is one methodological caveat that she makes in that all of these kids are, um, products of long-term polyamorous families. Um, she hasn't really talked to kids who have, who have had to go through, um, situations where they might dissolve the, the, the V's, all the geometry kind of breaks up because in plenty of situations that'll happen. So she's basically saying that this is a more optimistic viewpoint, but at the same time, I think you can kind of extrapolate her results with that and say that, you know, it's, it comes down to resources just like with with any family.
2: Right, but because it's so outside the norm of what, you know, is considered what we should be aiming for in terms of one man, one woman forever, I think that's why those kids get put under such a spotlight um, of whether they're going to turn out okay. But Dr. Chef did raise one really interesting point, which I think is kind of a good note to end on, is that when the geometry does fall apart, these people, you know, while they have all these adults, their adults might leave. They might become really attached to a partner and the partner leaves because breaks up with the mom. And she's saying that perhaps these kids become a little bit emotionally mature because they learn the life skill of how relationships break up, and they might have more examples of that and healthy ways to deal with it than just a divorce, which would be the only other example that a kid in a monogamous situation would have. So she's saying, you know, if, if mom's boyfriend leaves, you learn pretty early on how to deal with the fact that, that relationships change and relationships evolve and you have to say goodbye to some people, but that just means you might welcome someone else in their mm-hmm. place. And she's saying that that's a pretty interesting spin on the emotional skills these kids might be picking up.
0: Yeah. And I think with those examples too, that that happens a lot more for kids who might be born into poly families, um, where, uh, you know, once they're born, they're raised with this lifestyle and kind of taught from the get go that this is how mom and dad and and mom and mom and dad <laughs> live and they might, uh, like you said, have a little bit more of a, of a realistic in a kind of strange way understanding, um, of relationships because like you said, relationships can evolve, you know, maybe a, a boyfriend evolves into just a family friend and not someone who stays the night or maybe he never comes over again. But again, it's like, uh, you know, just like what happens in monogamous relationships sometimes. That's right. I mean, either way, when you're choosing to love someone, you're taking a chance. Uh,
2: Polyamorous people happen to take a lot more chances than some other people do, but um, that is the lesson she's saying we can all take from this is that love is a chance. And when you take it, sometimes good things happen and you expand your resources if you're practicing polyamory. And
0: sometimes you learn a lesson and
2: move on. So
0: yeah. And I, th- and I think that you do have to, uh, to take into account all of the potential complications coming your way. And it's not, I don't think that polyamory is anything that you should just jump into lightly, but I, I think it's pretty fascinating that this is the number one most requested topic we've had from listeners. So I don't really know what that says about what's going on in society these days, but it was it was definitely fun to talk to Dr. Chef and get the inside scoop on what's really happening. And if you'd like to learn
2: more about polyamory, there, we mentioned some books. There are tons of websites because the Internet is fueling the growth of this community. And one website in particular that you might want to check out for an article on this is HowStuffWorks.com, where we have How Polyamory Works.
0: Written by this lady right here, Molly. It's pretty good. <laughs>